This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners, including mention of suicide ideation. Please check the show notes for details and take care of yourself. Thank you. Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors Worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of meaningful conversations and convener of community. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior Community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. Thanks so much, Cassidy, for sharing your story on the podcast. It's great to connect with you. I'm I'm very excited to do this because I know I have a a pretty unique case of MS. I've always said that my MS is as much of an overachiever as I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was diagnosed during my first year of law school the day before I turned 23. Oh, wow. Yep. And a few months later started on Rebif, you know, and back then in 2004, there were only the four injectables on right, the market. Right. There wasn't anything else. And so I was on Rebif for about three years. Um, the side effects of that were terrible supposed to go on Tysabri in April of 2005. And then it got pulled from the market um, the week before uh, my appointment with my neurologist um, because of the, yeah, because of the PML. And so then I had to stay on the, I had to stay on the rebif longer. And then finally, two years later, no, I three years later, um, I was able to get on the Tysabri and I was on that for three and a half years. And that helped the most of any of the DMTs. And I had fewer side effects, actually I had good side effects because it helps so much with the fatigue. Um, I do my infusions on Friday afternoons. I would sleep all weekend. And by Monday morning, I was up raring to go. Interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. So did you have JC virus antibodies? I I didn't right away, but I did after a few years, which is sure. why I had to go off of it and and that's um so I went off of it and then my doctor put me on copaxone right away. Interesting and then switch. Me, yeah, very interesting. And then took me off of the copaxone within 2 months. Because it it clearly wasn't working, you know the MRI um, that I had while I was still in the Tysabri, and then he, there was an MRI scheduled um, after two months of being on the Capaxone and my MS. I mean, there were just lesions galore, and so took me off of that, and that's when I started the Tecfidera. And I was on the Tecfidera um, from yeah 2013 until. 2018. So that was the one that I was on the longest. Wow. But you, you had side effects you had mentioned. I did. Yes. I had, um, I had the really bad flushing and I'm sorry, but that's not flushing. That's burning. It's terrible feeling. 
yeah, from the inside out, you know, it feels like it, the burning is coming from inside your body and, and pushing its way out. And, you know, and people would look at me because I would get bright red and they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I said, oh, this is just the, they call it flushing. I'm like, this is not flushing. This is like internal burning that is just like showing up on my skin. Um, well, you know, that what is it? Dimethyl fumarate, the drug base. It's a tweak, like one molecule difference from furniture, like to treat furniture with that chemical. Yes. Yes, exactly. Toxic. (laughs) Absolutely toxic. (laughs) And so then just a few months after I started that, I participated in a paleo diet study at the University of Iowa, which is my alma mater for undergrad with Dr. Walls, Dr. Terry Walls. How about that? That was great. Um, The paleo diet um, helped a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, after the study, I had an MRI and my neurologist was shocked because um, some of my lesions had disappeared and others were shrinking. Fascinating. Yeah. So I stuck pretty well to paleo for a long time. And then, um, in 2015, um, about this time, you know, so almost exactly six years ago, um, the fatigue and the cognitive dysfunction got so bad that my neurologist told me I couldn't work anymore. And I was a litigator. And so, you know, when you get, I, I couldn't get up in court and actually, speak coherently on some days Uh, you know I I couldn't find words Mm. Um, I'm stumbling over over things and and, and it was immediately noticeable to everyone well and then the fatigue you know I just wouldn't be able to get out of bed for days at a time and and you can't exactly like call in sick (laughs) to court no no but I was and they all knew um you know, because I showed up to court so sick so many times and nobody knew that I had MS professionally. Um, I, you know, I blamed it on migraines and then, you know, one of my, um, MS relapses was a really, really bad bout of vertigo. And so, you know, I was always just able to blame it on other things and they were understanding of that. But the fact that I was still showing up in that condition, um, that when I started calling in sick to work, they knew something was going on, you know, and I'm calling and saying, I'm, I can't, I can't get there. So, uh, you know, that lasted for maybe a month. And then, um, yeah, you know, I finally made the announcement that I was quitting, that I had MS and I wasn't able to work anymore. And all the judges in particular were like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. When were you diagnosed? And I, I couldn't help but say way before I knew any of you yahoos. Right. (laughs) And they're like, what do you mean? I said, I've had it since law school, (laughs) my first year of law school. I've been managing. Um, Yeah. I said, remember the time this happened? Remember the time that happened? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, that was MS. And they were like, oh, my gosh, and you were still showing up and, you know, still fighting. And because I I did have a period of blindness um, from an allergic reaction to a different medication. So I was wearing sunglasses in court. And, you know, one of the judges asked me why I was wearing sunglasses. And I just tipped my glasses up so she could see because my eyes, I looked like a zombie. Mm. They were so yellow and they were bulging out of my eye sockets. Yikes. So 
yeah, so I couldn't even close my eyes. You know, I was having to put um, the salve on my eyes every night so my eyes didn't dry out. And, you know, and she proclaimed, oh, my gosh, you know, turned her head, put put her hand in my face, you know, the stop hand and said, oh, my gosh, stop. Give me whatever order you want me to sign and get out of here. <laughs> you should not be here like right, this. Right. Wow. <laughs> And my associate attorney was brand new and and was just basically acting like a seeing eye dog, you know, having to like take me around the courthouse. And, um, you know, the same thing happened with a judge. I was supposed to have a trial and I, I went up to her chambers and, you know, told her bailiff that I needed to see her and, and her her bailiff, um, you know, knew something was going on with me because there were, you know, there were multiple instances of me, um, you know, not being well in that court and I, you know, still able to fully function. Um, but you know, I clearly was sick and she, you know, asked what was going on. And I said, you know, I know we have a really big trial today, but you know, I've, I've got this thing going on with my eyes, so I can't actually see. And, you know, opposing counsel has no problem with a continuance. I'm hoping um, that I can get a continuance. And, you know, she just very politely asked, well, what's going on? And I tipped, again, tipped my sunglasses and she looked at me and she grabbed me and embraced me and said, oh my gosh, go home. Of course you can have a continuance. Why are you even here? (laughs) Yeah. So it's instances like that showing up where, you know, I physically looked deformed and I'm showing up and, you know, and so they knew, um, you know, in 2015 when I'm calling and saying, I can't be there. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew that something serious was going on. And um, how did that feel? Quitting working? Um, terrible. Terrible. Because I had a wonderful career. I, I, my entire legal career in Omaha was a perfect circumstance of right place, right time. Mm. I worked for a wonderful father son law firm when I first started out and, you know, and I never wanted to litigate. I, I wanted to do estate planning and transactional work and just office sort of stuff. But my boss who was the junior of the father and son, recognized in my personality that I would be a good litigator. And so he mm. kind of guided me down that path and that's what I ended up doing. And then after several years, I said, you know, I, I really want to do more. I want to be busier. I need to make more money. And and they were both so much closer to retirement and not really planning on having the firm go on without them. And he said, you know, take your cases you've earned them, you've worked for them and go do what you have to do. And I briefly was swayed away by a small firm that lasted four months to the day because they were horrible people. And then finally did go out on my own with the support of, you know, not just my former employer, but um, a CPA who had an office right next door that I worked with a lot because of all the taxes involved with estate planning and probate um, administration and things like that. And, And he had said, 
for years. He said, you need to get out of here. You need to go do your own thing. You're smart. You can do this. He said, I've got enough clients. I can refer you to keep you busy. And so I did. And I tried working from home that didn't even last two months. And I had to find office space and and I hired a paralegal and we were busy and I just kept getting busier and busier. And so then I finally had to expand into larger office space and hire more people. And, you know, before long, then I'm hiring an associate attorney and, uh, I had law clerks working for me, you know, law students that um, were were trying, you know, just figuring out what they wanted to do and um, and, and providing, you know, more support staff assistance. And, um, and, it, and it was great until I just got so busy and I never advertised. I, n- I never had to do anything. It was all word of mouth. And the laws around that time were changing. And a lot of the old timer lawyers were saying, can't teach an old dog new tricks. We don't want to do this anymore. And I said, well, hey, I'm here. I'm young. I'm ready to go. I'll do it. And so I jumped on and and I kind of became the face in some ways um, for the guardianship and conservatorship law changes because I was teaching the CLEs across the state, CLEs being continuing legal education. You know, I was writing articles. Um, I I wrote an article in 2009 when I was still working for the father and son law firm about powers of attorney and and abuses in powers of attorney that sparked a debate that ultimately led to the power of attorney law being updated. You know, so I kept really busy with that stuff. Plus, I was super successful. I was. Yeah. I mean, I was super busy. And that seems like a lot of compounded stress. Yes, yes. But I loved it. You know, I loved, I loved being involved in these other organizations and seeing, you know, the laws get up to date. And sure, you had a lot of impact. Yeah. And and I really loved that. And I really appreciated that. And um, so, so that part was very satisfying. And, and the people that worked for me were just amazing. You know, they, they were so great. They were so supportive. And when I was sick, um, if, you know, if I needed time off, they all stepped up and, you know, would take care of things while I was out yeah, I was, I was just really lucky. I was so, so lucky. Well, and so it is very hard to walk away to walk away. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just kind of had this sixth sense though, that I wasn't going to be able to keep doing that. And so in 2014, I partnered, I merged with another small firm, um, and partnered up with my, one of my best attorney friends and his partner, um, with a whole lot of promises of how things were going to be and how I would have to do less of the business management and I could get back to just practicing law. And it ended up being not only the exact opposite of that, oh. but they either chased away or fired all of my people. Oh, no. So then I was on my own. You know, I mean, th- th- it. You know, I'm just struggling to keep afloat with doing what I had to do. My associate attorney had left. So I had her workload. Um, they hired another associate attorney and it was my impression that that associate attorney was going to help carry some of that caseload. And that didn't happen. 
they ultimately did end up hiring me a really good paralegal and, and that helped for a while, but it, it, it was just terrible. And a lot of stress, a lot more stress. And so ultimately it was, you know, 10 months of that nine or 10 months of that. And, and I was done. I, you know, I just couldn't do it anymore. And and they had moved into my office space because I had nicer office space and, and it, you know, and I, it was fully decorated and, and I did my whole business in general. It was, I didn't pay for anything that I hadn't already earned the money for. You know, I did everything on a cash basis. So it's like I bought the furniture and I expanded the office and renovated and all of that stuff because I had the cash in the bank and that's not how they operated at all. You know, they were spending before they were earning. And and so that was a bit of a struggle. And so yeah, I mean, I ultimately had to leave and um well, and so you end up having to step back and help. Yes. Like, when did you step away from your career because of medical reasons? <laughs> it was it was about six years ago, right now. And after a summer of twiddling my thumbs, because um, you don't go from working seventy, eighty hours a week to sitting at home all day, right? Without going, not I mean, just crazy. You know, just bored and confused and depressed. And, you know, and all of my friends in Omaha were based on my legal career. That's how I met. I, you know, I didn't have other connections there and they're all working still. So in July of 2015, um, I went to Roatan, Honduras, which is an Island in the far Western Caribbean, um, to search for apartments Mm. And two months later, I moved there. Amazing. Uh, Because what better way to teach yourself to slow down than to go somewhere where you don't have a choice, but to slow down. Yeah, the pace is very different. Yeah. Island time is real. And, you know, everything stops at four o'clock and everybody shows up for happy hour. And the area where I lived, it was full of expats, you know, it was a pretty 50-50 split between Americans and Canadians. And, you know, everybody was just lovely and so nice. And and I met my landlords in that first, you know, kind of discovery trip to make sure that's where I wanted to go. And they were great and and lived right next door to me. And um, it, it just, it it turned into the absolute best thing that I could have done for myself to to not continue to go downhill to and to get healthier in some ways. Sure. So um, was this before or after the Walls protocol study? This was after. This was two years after. Okay. And so were you and on DMTs at the time? I I was still on Tech Federa and um I was able to get my Tech Federa and three month supplies. And so I went down with a three month supply. And I had friends that came to visit almost every single month because, you know, why not? You've got a free place to stay. Sure. <laughs> and and Roatan is the second most popular place in the world next to the Great Barrier Reef when it comes to scuba diving because of their location on the Mesa American Reef. Mm. So so then with the next supply of medications, you know, friends just brought them down to me. So that nice. was, that, yeah. So that was never a problem. It was great. It worked out very, very well. Um, but you know, this entire time I was waiting on social security disability because I had applied for social security disability as soon as my doctor told me I couldn't work anymore. 
And um, my attorney said, you know, you need to come back because they think that since you're living in the Caribbean, that you're healthy, that you're fine, that there's nothing wrong. It's like, well, I'm here and I'm living here because the climate is better for MS. You know, the more consistent temperature is better. Um, That salt water was so great for the pain. You know, it was a four minute walk for me to get to the beach and I could just get in the water. And anytime I was achy, you know, that was just the best thing to take away the pain. And um, so I went back in March of 2016 and just started going to the doctor every three months again and, you know, building up my medical chart to as as my disability attorney who's been practicing at this point now for almost 40 years, if not 40 years, said that I had more medical records than he has seen in any other disability cases oh, in his wow. career. Yeah. Yeah. So. But it was still um, a struggle to get on disability. Oh, yes. It took it took a long time. It took a very long time. So I applied in March of 2015, um, my my first denial was when I was living in Roatan, and then I had my first appellate denial when I was living in Roatan, and that's when I came back. And then I had another appellate denial, and then finally got set for a hearing in March of 2017 where that was the first time I was able to get in front of a judge because that's how long it takes. You know, it's, it's all the bureaucratic deny, 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 hoping you just go away. Right. But I mean, what kind of income can you be earning when your doctor tells you not to work and you're waiting? I was, I was renting out the extra rooms in my house um, because, because I owned a house and I had two extra bedrooms and I was located really close to the Nebraska medical center So I was able to rent out the other rooms, usually to traveling nurses, traveling surgical technicians or medical students that were doing monthly rotations. And so I I was very lucky and pretty much always had a full house. Well, that's a Uh, brilliant way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like work the system. But yeah, how tragic that for over two years, you had to be so creative. Yeah. And vulnerable. Yeah. And it ultimately ended up being closer to three years because I saw the judge October 25th of 2017. I have a weird thing with dates. I remember dates like no other. It's crazy. Um, I I wish my brain power went in some other direction instead of remembering every significant date, not only in my history, but just kind of in history in general. Um, Consider it a gift. It, yeah, I know. I mean, I remember birthdays of kids that I used to babysit. Amazing. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. It, so I got, I, I got the, the yeah, I had the hearing and during the hearing, you know, after, you know, my lawyer had done his thing and the judge had asked a few questions, you know, they asked if there was anything that I wanted to add. And I said, yes, judge, I want, I want you to speak to pay special attention to my resume because I had my attorney mark it as an exhibit for a reason. I want you to look at my resume and I want you to look at me and look at that with me in mind thinking, why would she give all of this up Mm. to be disabled? Because that's not rational. You know, it's not a choice we make. No, no. Why would I give up this career that was, you know, just, 
continuing to take off more and more and more every year. Why would I give that up to be disabled? You know, this isn't a choice. This, this is, you know, this is just what's happened in my life. This is what I I have to live with now. And I got the opinion back um, in the middle of December. So it was five or six weeks, you know, of confirming that um, I I was disabled and, um, and then I started receiving my disability checks in January of 2018. So it was 33 months of waiting, you know, for social security disability to come through. Ridiculous. Yes, absolutely ridiculous. The whole system is just a sham. It, you know, one of, one of the psychologists that, was part of one of the appellate denials, I had worked with her professionally. And so when I saw her name, I thought, you have got to be kidding me. You know me. (laughs) You've been a witness in my cases. And you really think that this is what I want in my life? Are you kidding me? It took every part of me not to call her and tell her what a terrible human being she Mm. is by being part of this bureaucratic nonsense of reject, reject, reject. So I'm so sorry that all happened. Well, thank you. I appreciated it. I mean, it all ultimately worked out for the best. You know, I, I started receiving the disability in January. Um, I took a trip in February with a good friend that I met in Roatan, who is now very much like a surrogate mother to me. Um, I'm actually with her in Florida right now. And we took a three and a half, a three and a half month tour of Europe and Northern Africa in April of 2018, which was wonderful. It was glorious because I, I love to travel. And then in September, I'm sorry, in June of 2018, I had another relapse. My balance was bad. I had the MS hug, which I'd never experienced before. And in nothing that's written about it or that describes it comes anywhere close to explaining what it actually is. Exactly. It's, it is so much more unusual and the, just the sensations are, I mean, it was uncomfortable to take showers because the water just touching that area of my skin. Yeah. Yes. Yes. How does a shower hurt physically? It doesn't make any logical sense, but I know that's MS. Yeah, it makes no logical sense, but it takes, you know, the stream of water and it makes it feel like you're having needles poked into you and it just hurt so much. And so it was at that point where I became pretty much a strict bath taker just because I couldn't have, you know, the, the stream, the heavy stream of water that, that was, you know, bearing down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, fortunately I had, um, a great big clawfoot tub and I just lived in that thing. (laughs) Sure. So Um, when in this timeline did you encounter HSCT? Well, actually I encountered, I, I became knowledgeable about HSCT in 2014 before I became disabled when my career was, you know, really going well, um, before I had, um, developed the partnership, because a friend told me that one of the judges in Omaha, that his wife had done an experimental treatment for her MS in Seattle in um, January of 2010. 
and that I should get in touch with her. Well, I didn't practice in front of this judge. So, you know, I didn't really know him. Um, But I did introduce myself to him and said, hey, you know, I've heard these amazing things about your wife and this treatment she received. And, you know, I'd really love an opportunity to talk to her. And he said, yeah, you know, she's a great person. You know, she volunteers with these organizations, kind of like guiding me to a path to find her in other ways, which is understandable. You know, not wanting me, not wanting to grant me access to his wife. And then um, a few months later, um, I went into a wine store and there was a book sitting there written by her. Um, her name's Vita Coffee and it's called Little V's Journey. Hmm. And it talks about her her whole experience with HSCT. Interesting. So, yeah. So I bought the book and then the gentleman that was working at the wine store, I said, this is an interesting book to have here. And I, I've actually been looking for her. Um, yeah, how do you know her? And he said, well, she's the co-owner of the store. Oh, yeah. And I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, is there any chance that you would be comfortable giving me her phone number? Because I actually have MS and, you know, and I'm really curious as to what she did. Sure. And, and so he did, he gave me her phone number and we started talking and we met for lunch fairly regularly. And, And she talked about it and she talked about her experience. And obviously I read her book and I I asked questions, but she never really pushed it on me at all. Just said, you know, this is something you should consider. You know, you're far enough along in your journey. You know, you've experienced a lot of the different DMTs and, you know, and this might be something you want to consider in the future. And that was kind of the end of it. So I I had it in the back of my mind from that point on. But, you know, at that point, I was so healthy and thriving in my career that I thought, well, I I don't need to go do this drastic, what I thought was a drastic procedure, um, because she did have the full myelio um, in Seattle with us. You know, you and I both having gone to Chicago, you know, they put the VASCAF in your neck after you've done the Nupagen and, and they're extracting it, you know, out of, out directly out of your blood. Right. Versus with what she did, it, it was a direct extraction out of her, out of her hip. Interesting. You know, like drilling into the bone marrow. It could have changed, you know, from when she had it over 11 years ago to how oh, it is yeah. now. You know, it's I would imagine it has changed um, because it was much more dangerous when she had it, too. Or at least that was Um, the perception, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, the recovery was a lot harder. Um, She was sick for a lot longer, um, just physically sick after um, even, you know, even after she got home than I was, because when I got home, I lived with her and the judge for the first couple of weeks. And they both were just amazed at how mobile I was and how little help I really needed versus her. And, you know, and this part of this might be too, because for age, because she was, she was closer to 50 and, um, she's much more petite and, you know, and I'm, I'm tall, you know, I'm five, nine and, you know, just a little bit more stable on my feet than, you know, someone is as as small and tiny as she is. Sure. Well, and everyone's so unique, right? Yeah. Yeah. She has genetic mutations that 
created whatever complication or who knows what in our genetic makeup can exactly can lead to these complications vita developed every complication possible and then some um i mean she really really had a lot of problems but she's great now and you know so amazing that she was a resource for you during recovery and not only during recovery but leading up to to actually having um hsct so like i said i had that relapse in june i started on jelenia in september and that didn't work very well for me at all. And so my doctor took me off of it in November. And then in January, the very beginning of January, right after the new year, I went on another trip with uh, my surrogate mom, Lauren, um, that I'm here with in Florida. Um, we did a pan- a two-week Panama um, Canal cruise. Nice. And on Yeah, it was great. And on day two of the cruise, um, the left side of my face from my cheekbone up and then all the way into the back of my head went numb. And so I got a couple drinks in her at dinner (laughs) and, and, you know, we're eating a nice dinner and I said, okay, so I have something to tell you and I don't want you to freak out. And she said, what? And I said, I'm having another relapse. And she throws her hands up in the air and she said, the next stop in Mexico, we're getting off and we're flying oh. home. And I said, absolutely not. Because <laughs> all that's all that's going to happen is they're going to infuse me with steroids. Right. And it doesn't matter if they do that tomorrow or if they do that in two weeks. And we've been looking forward to this cruise for so long. We're going to wait the two weeks. I'm going to enjoy as much of this cruise as I possibly can. And I did. I, I There were several days where I, I didn't get out of bed, but those were mostly days where we were at sea, so it was fine. But, you know, for every stop that we made, I got off for every single stop and was able to explore, you know, all the different countries um, in Central America and, and then into South America. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. It was absolutely great. And and I did not do steroids that previous summer with the MS hug and the bad balance because I just I I had done so many steroids over the years and and I get really bad steroid psychosis. So I just didn't want to do them. And, and they're just really tough on your bones too. They're terrible. Well, yeah, I'm saying that as I'm laying here with a fractured foot. <laughs> you know, like I can't help but wonder if right. all the all the steroids, um, isn't part of why I fractured my foot. Sure. So, you know, I had a lovely weekend with her, flew back on Saturday, called my doctor right away, Monday morning. I had uh, my first steroid infusion set up that afternoon. I called Vita. Um, she came and met me at the infusion center, um, took me home because I didn't drive. Um, she took me home and I said, Vita, I'm ready for HSCT. I'm, I'm finally there. And she said, no problem. And in 30 minutes, she had the direct line to Dr. Burt's clinic at, at Northwestern. Cause she called Seattle and said, Hey, this is a friend of mine and you know, this is her journey and this is where she's at. And they said, well, we don't have, we don't have any openings right now she should call Chicago. And so, like I said, within 30 minutes, she had the phone number. I called, um, they emailed me the paperwork. I filled out the paperwork, um, emailed it back and they called me back in less than 24 hours. And, um, 
you know, they wanted, they wanted to see, you know, the most recent MRIs. And I said, that's fine. You know, I have one on Wednesday. As soon as I get it, I'll send it to you. And I did. And then they called back right away and they said, okay, let's get an appointment set up. And so I had an appointment set up for the first week in March. But before that happened, I ended up in the hospital at the end of February with another relapse. Um, so it was, I had 11 new lesions between mm. January and February of 2019, 11 brand new lesions. Yikes. Yes. And so then I sent that MRI report while I was in the hospital, I, I hobbled down because I had a friend in medical school. And so she was allowed to escort me down to the records department and, you know, and I, and I got those records and sent them on to Northwestern too, so that they would have them for the appointment the following week. And, um, when I showed up, you know, the, the gatekeeper to Dr. Burt was Dr. Balabanov and the neurologist. And, and, you know, he's just great. I still see him to this day and he could not stop shaking his head, looking at my MRIs. He, you know, he was just shaking his head saying, you just have so many lesions. You just have so many lesions. And I said, I'm fully aware. I had six of them when I was diagnosed (laughs) and I know that I have 11 this year. I don't even know how many I've had you know, in the, in between it, you know, in the, the rest of the 15 years in between, nobody's ever told me how many others I have. So I can just imagine. And so I got, you know, the, the go ahead to see Dr. Burt. And so I saw him later that afternoon and he admitted me on the spot. And, um, as soon as I got back to Omaha, Vita came over and started helping me put together a calendar of caretakers, um, which is something that she had done while she was in Seattle of people that would come and stay with her. Um, even when she was in the hospital, just having people that would stay in the, um, she rented a, a condo. And so people that would stay there and, you know, be able to visit her in the hospital and to kind of just, you know, take care of things and, So we put together a calendar of the people that I wanted during certain periods of time. I, you know, I knew that certain periods of time I wanted certain people, certain personalities. I knew what I was going to need based on her experience as to how she felt during, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And so we did that. Um, You know, I contacted all the people, everybody was gun ho ready to help. Um, Vita started a GoFundMe page. Um, every penny that I had to my name, I put into HSCT and, but, you know, still needed more money. And so did um, insurance cover any of it for you? Medic, Medicare did. Um, but my supplemental plan did not. So I had to come up with the other 20%. Mm. And I also, with Vita's advice, and and I found it to be pretty good advice. I didn't go home in between the times sure. at at Northwestern where they say, oh, you know, you can take a break and go home. I didn't. I stayed in Chicago. I stayed at an extended stay hotel that was walking distance from Northwestern and and rested there and had people coming and staying with me and helping to take care of me when I needed it. And, and just being there and supporting me, you know, like, especially with the Nupogen injections, I have a nurse that's a cousin, or I'm sorry, I have a cousin that's a nurse. And so she was there for the Nupogen injections and giving me the Nupogen injections every day. Now, obviously I could do them myself because I was on, you know, two DMTs where I was having to give myself injections, but having a nurse there 
um, helped a lot. And, and she was such a good advocate for me because I really did struggle with the bone pain from the Neupogen injections. I know not everybody does, but I really did. And that was some of the worst pain of my life. Like I, there, I could not get comfortable to save my life. And so she was on the phone with Dr. Burt's, um, nurse practitioner saying, you need to give her this, this, and this, I'm already doing this for her. I think this is the only way we're going to get her comfortable and get her through this to get her to the harvest. And she was right. And, and it all helped. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't advocate for myself at that point. I was in too much pain. Sure. I was just screaming. So, so that was very, very helpful. Vita was there. She went with me at the beginning when I first went to Chicago. And so she was there for the first week with, you know, the initial testing and all the appointments and things at the front end. And then she came back, um, right the day of the harvest and was with me for another week. Um, but then, you know, I had the other people sporadically in there. And fortunately, you know, I went to law school in Chicago. I have family that lives in Chicago. So I, you know, I had local support there too. And, and I ultimately moved back to Chicago less than six months after HSCT, just because I wanted to be closer to the better doctors because the doctors, um, that I was seeing in Nebraska were, just not competent at all. Well, especially with HSCT. Yes. Yes. And well, and even my biggest frustration was all of these years and all of the steroids and me, and I just called myself crazy. You know, I'm going crazy from the steroids. And even though like, I mean, I became very suicidal, I became homicidal. Um, you know, I'm not sleeping. I, I was just, crazy. And, and I would relay all of the specifics of this to them. And they just said, Oh, you just have to deal with this. Well, then when I got to Chicago and I had my MRI before I saw Dr. Burt and I I knew I was having another relapse, um, because I was going, I was blind. And, um, so I knew, you know, obviously I was having another relapse and he confirmed, yes, you are having another relapse. And he said, you know, we could, we could do some steroids because it's a couple, couple more weeks before, you know, we get into anything else. So we could do some steroids. And I just said, Dr. Burt, I just don't think I can do any more of the steroids. I just go crazy. And he said, well, explain to me. And I told him the exact same things that I was telling the doctors in, in Nebraska. And he said, well, you have steroid psychosis. That's mm. very easy to treat. There's a medication called, it's an anti-nausea medication called Cyprexa. We give you that and you, you don't have psychosis. Amazing. I wanted to punch a wall. I was so angry that for 15 years I suffered through all of these steroids and nobody, not even once proposed treating it in any right. way. Yeah, it was maddening. And, and you know, and that's when it's like, obviously, I'm going to come back and live in Chicago and see doctors at Northwestern, you know, one of the top 10 facilities in the country versus go back to Omaha, Nebraska, long term, where they don't do that. You know, they don't treat that. They just tell you, you have to deal with it. So that so. sounds memorable in itself. I mean, he's brilliant in so many ways. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, well, like I remember when I told him when I was listing out my medical history, one of the things was a spontaneous pneumothorax, my lung collapsed randomly. 
And oh, wow. here in Kentucky, they had told me, well, you're tall and thin. And so yeah, that's just a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Burt was the very first doctor. And so let's see, my lung collapsed in February of 2008. And so I saw him in 2016. So eight years later, first doctor yeah. to ever ask, well, were you on birth control at the time? And I said, yeah. He's like, yeah, that, that, that exacerbates your chances <laughs> for, for a pneumothorax. I mean, like the first doctor to ever put that together. It, it's, I mean, it's terrifying. He's brilliant. Well, and he's brilliant. He, well, he's beyond brilliant. And in the way that that man has devoted his life to HSCT oh for 20 plus years, you know, I mean, because I did end up getting um, rabbit fever while I was in isolation and, um, you know, it was in the middle of the night and in, I'm sure you probably even remember, you know, when they come in and they do those middle of the night, <laughs> 2 30 uh, AM. Yeah. 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 You know, they check your blood pressure, they check your temperature. So it's like, I hold my arm up, I open my mouth, you know, like I don't even open my eyes, you know, and, and let them do their thing. Except for this time, then all the lights come on and they're like, you have a fever. Um, we're going to call Dr. Burt and see what we need to do. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, because initially they were anticipating that I was going to get out of the hospital the following day. And so I'm crying because I thought, oh, my gosh, how much longer am I going to be stuck in the hospital? It's already been 14 days. I'm so done with this. Um, so, you know, they they brought the the portable X-ray machine in and did, you know, an X-ray of my lungs. They did some blood cultures. They did some more blood work. I had to, you know, do a urine sample. And um, I cried myself back to sleep by about three, maybe four in the morning. And then at eight or eight 30, Dr. Burke comes in with the biggest smile and, um, his nurse practitioner was with him and he's like, you're being released. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> he said, I thought for sure. And he's like, no, this is, this is rabbit fever. This is a good thing. This means that, that it's working. He said, you know, your numbers not, aren't up to where we would normally want them to be, to be released, but they are going to very quickly get there because of this. And so I said, well, you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And so, you know, after they left, I went out in the hallway, I looked for, uh, a wheelchair to load all my stuff up in. So I, you know, I could wheel it, wheel it all out. And I, I found an unused wheelchair, you know, make, I asked for permission, made sure <laughs> that it wasn't being used. They said, no, 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 this is just a leftover one. I said, fine, it's mine. And I took it into my room and I packed all my stuff in it and I wheeled out it because they had the discharge papers with them. So it's not like I even had to wait around. And I was wheeled out of that hospital by 9 a.m. <laughs> and I called um, the transport van, you know, from the extended stay that I was at. And and they, you know, came and we loaded everything up and they, you know, took me back to my room. And uh, I had a bath, which was the most glorious, wonderful thing ever, because, you know, obviously, well, not obviously for people that haven't been through this, but, you know, at, at a certain point, they start doing those Nupagen injections again. And, you know, and the bone pain was bad. And, sure. and I, you know, taking a bath was the best thing ever. Those showers just don't you know, the hospital showers don't, don't do the trick. I need to lay in a deep bathtub and just submerge myself. And 
And so I did and, and it was great. So um, I, I was very, very lucky, very, very lucky. And, and another good friend was scheduled to come that day. Um, actually, she's the she's also an attorney. She's the attorney of uh, my former law clerk, who is who is now also an attorney. So she came and and was there for four days and, you know, helped me get packed up. And, um, you know, we ate a bunch of good food and drank wine and just hung out and relaxed and, um, yeah. And then flew back to Omaha and then I was, you know, just immediately looking for apartments to go back to Chicago. And when I had my follow-up appointment with Dr. Burt at the beginning of November, because, you know, the studies were all ending December 31st of 2019, um, I stayed an extra day to go look for apartments. I found an apartment and, you know, packed up my house, sold virtually everything in my house because I was downsizing from my three bedroom, two bathroom house to a studio apartment, um, which was the best decision I've ever made. Um, it, you know, it's it's just so much less cleaning, less clutter. Yes. less. It, it's just, it's more comfortable overall. My friend's husband drove the U-Haul and then another friend drove from out of town to help unpack and organize. And um, I, yeah, I moved back to Chicago on January 3rd of 2020. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, less than six months um, out from the transplant. So I was weak, I was tired, but I just the sense of security being back somewhere where I knew that the medical care was going to be what I needed for the recovery and and what I needed long term. Sure. So Uh, how is recovery going? Recovery now is going very well. Uh, My two year STEMI birthday is July 15th. Um, I did have a scare late last year. It looked like maybe I had a new lesion in September of 2020. So, and that was exactly 14 months out from HSCT. And so Dr. Blabanov and Dr. Burt were in complete disbelief. They said, it never comes back this fast. Mm. And I said, never say never to a medical overachiever. Right. <laughs> because you say, you know, because the, the eye thing that I mentioned where I went blind and had these zombie eyes, there's a medical journal article out there about it because that had never happened. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Like, don't ever, don't ever say never to me with medical stuff, because if, if, even if it can't be done, my body will do it. Um, so I went back for another MRI in December and what they thought was a lesion was still there. And so, um, I was under the belief that I was then a non-responder. And so I saw terrible, terrible. Um, but at the same time I was geared up and ready to do it again. I thought, okay, if the non-myleo didn't work, then I'm going myleo and I'm going to Cleveland clinic. Um, so I knew I wouldn't be able to go right away, but I went into my next appointment with Dr. Blabanov on March 1st, which was obviously the beginning of MS awareness month. And I took my friend, Julie, um, who's also an attorney, who's also um, an HSCT warrior as, as my backup. And we had a plan to, that I was going to, to Cleveland and that 
he was going to support it one way or another. <laughs> I mean, we, we were going to lawyer him. <laughs> we, we, you know, you've got two of us on you now. And he, uh, he said, you know, actually, I don't think this is a lesion. He said, I think this, and it was coming from my brainstem, which is where I had never had lesions before. He said, I think this is actually um, your brainstem is healing and and as part of the healing it's producing what's very much like a pimple that you know is just the remnants of some of the scars and so obviously that was beyond exciting fascinating yes it's so exciting and and i had another mri um following week, I think, and it was the same exact thing. You know, it hasn't changed at all. It looks like it is just, you know, part of the healing and it doesn't happen for everybody, but of course it happened for me. And, and so now I'm just on, on a plan where I, I have MRIs every three months and I see him every three months, um, until we know for sure, but I have continually started feeling better. I had pretty rough months in January and February, but I also had gone back to work, um, last fall when I thought my MS was back, I thought, well, I, you know, I, if I'm well enough now where I think I can work again, and if, if MS is back and I'm not going to be able to work long-term, then I need to start working now. I, you know, I need to build up a nest egg again because everything that I had went in HSCT, everything. And, um, but ultimately I ended up too sick to work. And so I had to quit in January and then I was just really down and out for January and February kind of recovering. But, you know, plus I got strep throat. I had, um, hypothermia, like how I got hypothermia from not being outside in the cold for extended periods of time is beyond me. But again, you know, walking, talking birth defect. Anomaly. Yeah. I was, I always told my mother that I was a walking, talking birth defect because it really made her upset, but it, it just kind of seemed to fit, (laughs) but definitely very much an anomaly. And so, um, yeah, fortunately, you know, I was feeling better by March and, and at that appointment, Dr. Blabanov said, number one, you need to go get a drink. Um, number two, you need to plan a vacation. Number three, you need to stop reading MRI reports. <laughs> and, and, and he scolded us both. He said, you lawyers, like you can't help yourselves. You read the stuff. And well, of course, you know, that's just, that's what we do. You know, that's what we're trained to do. And that's what we do, you know, in our careers too. We're reading medical reports all the time. So, um, and then there was a fourth thing and I can't remember what that was. Uh, and I, and I to- told him, I said, well, I have physical therapy in 30 minutes. I can't go have a drink. He said, you can go have a drink. So we did. We ran down the block to the TGI Fridays. We ordered shots and glasses of Prosecco. (laughs) Granted, I had, (laughs) I had to down mine pretty quickly. And then I ran to um, physical therapy that was just down the street at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab and um, jumped on the treadmill and, um, you know, told the physical therapist, okay, the MS isn't back. I've had a couple drinks, but it's okay because... (laughs) My balance doctor's orders. 
doctor's orders. And she's like, Oh, that's fine. You know? And I said, and plus, you know, my, my balance is bad, but I swear it actually does get better after a couple of drinks. It's like, that's somehow like, I don't know. It just like solidifies me to the ground a little bit more somehow. And yeah, so I did, I did the whole thing and yeah. And I've, I've been feeling really well since. Yeah, exactly. Definitely something to celebrate. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so things are, things are good. Um, my disability scaling had gone down when I showed up for the study, I was a 3.5 and, you know, a lot of that was cause I was walking with a cane and I had the vision issues and, uh, Dr. Balabanov said that I can plan on always being a two just because the fatigue and the cog fog will never go anywhere. But, um, I, I, have found some supplements that are definitely helping with both. Um, plus I also take a stimulant, um, that helps. So, you know, so they're manageable. They're not, they're not like they were before where they were completely unmanageable with stimulants with anything. I mean, I, I'd take my Adderall prescription and go right back to bed and then wake up at later that night is how bad it was before. So it's not like that anymore, fortunately. It's just, yeah. And interesting. He says that they'll never go away. Yeah. Cause it's just such long-term damage. Um, you know, that's the problem is, you know, that was, I mean, definitely the fatigue was the first thing that really set in and, and that set in in law school. And so I started on stimulants while I was in law school, you know, within the first year of diagnosis. And the, the cog fog though, I mean, it's there, but it's not like it was, I can communicate now. It's not like how it was before where I truly couldn't communicate. I I couldn't find words. Yeah. I couldn't find words. I was babbling and stumbling on just the most basic words. Just the, you know, things that a toddler could say. (laughs) And I, I, I couldn't, you know, I just, I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get it out of my mouth. Um, sure. So, so, well, and I think yeah. that's an important point that the lesions that cause that damage from so long ago, right? Yes. Those are really hard lesions to heal or exactly. potentially black holes. Like I have several black holes in my brain that who knows? Exactly. I believe in neuroplasticity, but. Yes. Yes. And you know, and I think, I, I really do think the paleo diet continues to help um, a lot because uh, that definitely helps with my energy level. I think just, just the clean eating in general, I can tell a difference Oh, sure. in, in how I, how I, how I feel. And, you know, so many people are scared of paleo that, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. Well, you know what people, I don't even eat meat. <laughs> I, you know, I, so I pretty much just eat fruit and vegetables. I'll eat chicken. I, I, I will eat anything out of the sea. And I take the supplements to make up for what I can't eat, you know? So I take a liver supplement. I, I take spirulina. I take kelp because there's a lot of things too, that you just can't put into your diet um, as easily now as, you know, what the cavemen did. And so you take supplements for it and, and that, that helps it. It just, it really, really helps. And I, I mean, I wish I had video of me from five years ago or six years ago, I guess, when I, you know, when I was just stumbling so much on my words and, and getting so frustrated because it's like, this is stuff that I say every day. You know, these are words that are 
like I said, a toddler, you know, can articulate better, could articulate better than I could. Um, so it was very frustrating. Uh, so I great that it's not so difficult now. Yeah. So, so even though it's never going to go away, I do still think that it's better. Um, I do definitely feel that it's better. And I know that, you know, any sort of improvement with HSDT is a bonus. Nobody can, nobody can, you know, hang their hat on the fact that they're going to improve because that's never a guarantee. Right. But I think there's other things that you can do in addition. And I I feel like, you know, the paleo diet and, um, you know, getting the exercise and fresh air that I get, getting the vitamin, the natural vitamin D in addition to vitamin D supplements, you know, a lot of those things help. Absolutely. So what about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HSCT? Hmm. Superpower. I, I would say just my passion for bringing awareness to HSCT and not just for people with MS. I have a close friend that has lupus and I would love to see her get HSCT down the road. I have um, a friend with CIDP that, you know, she, she's done a lot of really miraculous radical things that are available besides HSCT to get herself to a point where she's in, in very, in, in very good shape. But, you know, if her H, if her, um, if her CIDP ever really got bad again, you know, I just think that HSCT would be a no brainer for her because she's young too. You know, she's in her thirties and life is life cannot be over when you're in your thirties. It, it, it just can't be, you know, there's so much more ahead and so much more living to do so much more to experience and see. And so I just really, it's so much permanent damage to avoid. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the biggest thing is how avoidable it is, is by going through this, you know, it really, it, it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. I just can't, even fathom where I would be right now without it. I just can't. So we won't go there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it is tough to imagine how bad it can be. Yeah. Because especially when you've had terrifying experiences, like going blind and your eyeballs bulging out of your head. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and the difficulty walking and all the falls and I just, that, that's just not, you know, for being as young as I am and for having had MS from such a young age too, you know, and they can really trace it back to when I was 19. So, I mean, I really have had it my entire adult life. And I, just because I've had it my entire adult life doesn't mean that I can't live a healthy, happy life. You know, this is just, been a part of my adult life. It's going to continue to be a part of my adult life, but I can still live and and I can live better because of HSCT. And knowing that the psychosis you were experiencing is a real side effect and not you losing exactly. your mind. Exactly. I mean, the fact that when the doctor came in to the hospital, the last time I was in the hospital in April of 2019, because of the steroid psychosis, I checked me and my dog into the hospital. <laughs> And said, you know, I have a very strong urge to kill myself and everyone else. 
Mm. And that's very common with my steroid psychosis is the suicidal and homicidal ideation. And it just got worse over the night because, you know, I needed sleep and I just didn't understand, you know, why can't you give me something to sedate me so I can sleep? because sleeping would help. And, and they didn't, you know, they just did not do it. And so then when the next morning I started packing my stuff up and was walking down the hall and they said, where are you going? And I said, home. And they said, what do you mean you're going home? And I said, well, you're not doing anything for me anyhow. Mm. So why should I be here if you're not going to help me? And they said, well, you need to wait until your doctor comes by or you're going to be released AMA. And I said, I, I don't care you can release me against medical advice because you're not giving me medical advice being here. Right. You're not doing anything for me medically. So this has got to happen like ASAP or I'm out. And, um, he ended up showing up about 30 minutes later and sat down and he had not been my doctor for very long. My previous, um, neurologist who I'd had for many years, who I really liked, who really listened, but was not an MS specialist. Um, though MS was what he wanted to do. It's just with the practice he was in, that wasn't, that wasn't something that was supported. And so he had, I say that he broke up with me in, in January of 2019 with that last relapse. He just said, Cassie, your MS is just too bad. You need to be with an MS specialist again. And so he sent me back to the um, University of Nebraska Medical Center and you know, gave me this doctor. And, um, so that doctor showed up and, you know, sat down and said, Cassidy, I I know you're a very intelligent woman. I know that you are rational and I don't believe that you're going to kill yourself or anyone else. And I said, let's be specific here, doctor. I'm going to burn your house down with you and your dog. And I love dogs. So that says a lot. And then, and then I'll probably kill myself because that's how terrible I feel right now. And he said, but I know you're not going to do it. So I'm going to release you. Interesting. Yeah. And he's right. I didn't do it, but you know, I just, I was trying to make clear to him just how desperately insane I felt. And the fact that they just didn't do anything. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it just, it's very, very frustrating. And, um, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm just glad to be back in Chicago with Northwestern and and, good care and very good care. And, you know, and Dr. Burt's obviously not there anymore though. I, I have, you know, had a little bit of contact with him because of, you know, thinking that the MS was back. Um, his his head nurse, Kate, is amazing and, you know, put me in contact with him. And, you know, Dr. Labanov is great. And I found a great internist. And um, I'm finally dealing with other medical issues that I put off for years because I said, I don't have time for this. I have MS. I mean, no, I'm not going to go get tested for the BRCA gene right now. No, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not, you know, okay. I already dealt with the endometriosis by having hysterectomy. Like, why can't that be enough for now? And I was born with one kidney, you know, just all of these things. It's like, I, I don't have time for this. Well, now, I'm making time for it and taking care of these things. And and it's because I had HSCT, you know, because 
without HSCT, I would have continued to just say, who cares? You know, I was just going downhill so quickly that it just didn't matter. You know, when you, when you put everything, when you balance it all out, it's just everything else seems so minuscule in comparison to what you deal with on a daily basis. You know, all of these other things are much more futuristic and long-term versus the MS is, you know, that's an everyday thing that affects you. And it can be different every day. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's different every day. So having HSCT has just improved that so much. And I have so many, I'm at the point now finally where I have more good days than bad days and never, you know, if you would have told me that six years ago, I would have laughed Mm. to think that that was even possible that I could have more good days than bad days. Isn't that Um, amazing? It is. It's yeah, it's absolutely amazing. So what are you grateful for about your experience that has gone unspoken? Um, I am grateful for, I'm grateful for a second chance at life. I'm grateful that I am going to be able to work again, that I'm going to be able to be a productive member of society again, because being disabled as young as I was, was heartbreaking. I mean, you don't, you don't go to college and then law school and then become a lawyer and work hard and do all of these amazing things in your career to then just have to stop. Right. And, but I'm also grateful that I had MS or have MS when all of this was happening because it has allowed me to refocus on what exactly I can and should do. I'm not going to litigate again. I'm not going to get into an area that is as stressful as I was before because I know that life is short regardless and it needs to be enjoyed. And I'm not going to get into a career that is going to stress me out. That is going to make my health worse. Um, you know, I, I need, I need something better than that. And I deserve something better. Yeah. Than that. I was going to say you deserve the best. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm very grateful because I really very much consider this a second chance at life, you know, cause if I hadn't done this, who knows, who knows where I would be right now. And, you know, and it, it was especially terrifying for me, um, when all, when all of this did get so bad two years ago, because my biological father died when I was 38 and I was 38 at the time when, when all of this was happening and, and he died from a farming accident. So, you know, it, it wasn't illness, but still scary. I, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I just kept thinking, I'm not going to outlive my dad. Mm. I'm not going to outlive my dad. Like, this is it. You know, there's this, there's nothing more that can be done for me. I, you know, I'm immobile. I can't see. I, you know, I can't enjoy life. I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it. I can't. It was very, very difficult. And so turning 40 has just been huge because it's like, I've outlived my dad. I've moved into a different decade and I know unequivocally that his, his presence, you know, his, you know, no matter what people believe religiously, just, I feel, you know, his physical presence with me. And I know that 
I'm strong because of him. I know that I'm stubborn because of him. <laughs> and it's the qualities that, that he gave me that allowed me to get this far. Sure. And, and helped and you those... face even the uncertainty of did HSCT work? And, exactly. And power yeah. through. Yes, exactly. And it and it's helping me power through now as, you know, as I'm looking at starting to work again in the fall and, you know, figuring out what that's going to look like and, you know, what I want my life to be going forward. You know, I just feel like the qualities that I gained from him are a huge part of what has kept me going and what will keep me going and make continue to make my life better. Thanks to HSCT. Yep, exactly. Thanks to HSCT. Thanks to my friend Vita, who is also very much like a surrogate mother. Oh, sure. Thanks to, I, I, I'm collecting moms <laughs> between, <laughs> between my, my friend Lauren that I'm with and Vita in Omaha and an old professor, Sunny, that lives in um, northern Wisconsin that I'm going to be visiting here in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by these mothers that, you know, treat me as, they're like I'm their child it, in a positive way. You well, know, it they're, takes they're, a village. It does. It does. It does. And, and so it's I have tremendous that you have such support. Yes, it is. It really is. I have I have some amazing friends. I've lost a lot of friends along the way, and that's okay too, because you know this isn't for the faint of heart. This is this is hard for me, and it's hard for people around me. And I've lost a lot of friends, and and that's okay. It makes because room I'm, for the right people. It does. And it's made room for this HSCT community that I am in love with. You know, I, mm. I've been participating for two months now. And it's this is just such a great community. Every single person that I've met as part of this has been amazing. And I just can't wait to keep working with you guys and, you know, building the organization and spreading the knowledge of HSCT so that other people realize that this is out there and this is a possibility and this, this can change your other people's lives too. We're just so glad to have you on board and part of the crew, right? Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm like I said, I'm very, very happy to be part of the crew because it's it's a great, great group of people. And I know I haven't even met everybody, you know, I haven't even right. met <laughs> <laughs> it's tremendous how many people are willing to show up and help us yes. carry this forward. Absolutely. And it will 100%. take, it will truly take a village, right? Yes. To, to help us get this out there. And it's amazing that we're starting to build that village. Yes. You, you started with a small village that is expanding because it is a strong village and a necessary village. And this needs to become the standard of care. Big Pharma and all of these toxic DMTs aren't good. And and they, you know, and the efficacy rate for all of them is so low versus HSCT. You know, all of this has definitely changed. Well, living in the Caribbean did this for me. Sure. Too. But just changing, you know, what I put in my body, what I have in my home, what, yeah, like toxins and chemicals and you know, I live a much more natural life now, you know, when it comes to cleaning products and body, you know, things that I put on my body, in my body, I, 
it, it changes your perspective on things because it, you know, environment is huge. Indeed it is. And people have to recognize that to, to really understand what sort of impacts it has on people. Right. And so now as you gain confidence with your recovery and how well you're doing, who knows what the future holds, right. And, And where you'll end up. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just excited for you that HSCT seems to still have held and halted your progression. Exactly. That your fear of a relapse was not true. Yep, exactly. And that you're on the path to recovery and wellness. I 100% am. And I'm just so excited for what's ahead because it's nothing but good at this point. Be sure to visit our website where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It has been so great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us online, on Instagram, or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry-Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.